This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix. Sure, it's time for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? I'm even more excited for round two. <laughs> so am I. We are very privileged to be joined by a special guest, Craig Lindsay. How are you doing? Hey, what the hell's happening? Oh, man. Was that was that good enough for you right there? Just like, like what yeah. the hell's happening? Okay. <laughs> It's always good enough for us. Oh, <laughs> we have low <little> standards. <laughs> always great to talk to you, Craig. Uh, if, for those listeners out there that are not aware, this is part two of episode number 32 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Django Unchained. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, you should be aware that this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And each week we release an episode in two parts. We release first a general non-spoiler discussion, and then the second part, which you're listening to now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening right now, go back and listen to part one. But uh, before we really start to analyze Django Unchained, here's another clip. You mind telling me what the hell are you doing? I confirmed that Bonilla is at Candyland. Sure, sir. He didn't call her by name, but she's a young lady with marks on her back and speaks German. Now, while it's not wise to assume in this instance, I think it's pretty safe. Point being, don't get so carried away with your retribution. You lose sight of why we're here. You think I lost sight of that? Yes, I do. Stop antagonizing Candy. I'm not antagonizing. I'm intriguing him. You're, you're yelling abuse of these poor slaves? I would call a man who had me kill another man in front of his son and he didn't bat an eye. You remember that? Yeah, of course I remember. What you said was, was that this is my world. In my world, you gotta get dirty. So that's what I'm doing. I'm getting dirty. All right. Well, Craig, I'm really curious to hear what you thought of Django Unchained, because the movie has generated a lot of controversy. You've got people like Spike Lee saying that Tarantino is is probably a racist and it's offensive to take a movie about slavery and turn it into this revenge, black exploitation Western movie. Sergio Leone, Spaghetti Western, I think is what he said. Yeah, and then you've got other people saying that this is actually not racist at all, it's very progressive. So I, I was curious to know, what are your thoughts on, on this whole controversy and the film in general? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Well, first off, we should establish that I am, in fact, a Negro. Yes. <laughs> and that's probably the reason why you uh, called me to, to be a part of this. Yes. And, by the way, can we just bring up, um, I don't know if you, when you emailed me today to, to appear on this show, because you say you want to talk about Django and Jane, and just you said, basically ask the question, is this racist? <laughs> it's a movie about <laughs> slavery in the antebellum South in 19th century. <laughs> White people say the N-word all throughout the entire film. Yes! It's racist! <laughs> it's quite racist! The most racist thing that you'll see. And in, in quite in quite some time. And here's the problem. Here's the thing about this movie that people are kind of overlooking is that yes, it is a racist film, but you're looking at racism in a um, in a more negative light. Of course, racism is bad. It's bad. We, we can all agree as different people of different backgrounds that racism is awful. But I think the thing that's really killing people is that is it's bringing racism in a in a analytical context for because we're actually discussing race, right? 
And, you know, because here's this, here's this, here's this white guy who constantly makes movies, which they any word, and, and it bring up a lot of black culture in his films. And of course, since it's a movie that really touches on a very still, it's still a lingering part of the uh, part of American history where black people were enslaved in chains a lot. You know, it's kind of like this whole thing of, you know, should he have the the right to do that? You know, should he be that one that brings in the question and, and, and makes it kind of a thing where it's not even historically accurate, but is it just a just a story out of his own fantasies and everything? This revision, almost this revisionist history tale like he did with his glorious bastards. And just like the answer is, of course, he's he's he has the right to do that because he is a filmmaker and an artist, and he is right. It's not it's not something like propaganda or just something. He's trying to make this this film that's you know kind of hit this message and everything. And he's trying to make he basically just made a movie black people can enjoy watching because you know white people end up dead and everything. So and that's basically that's all what Quentin Tarantino does is makes Pete movie these rousy movies where you know and kind of like kind of we did Goy's Bastards and everything just making these movies that you wouldn't expect to be uh quite entertaining because it is about these horrible moments in world history and make kind of this rousing entertainment out of it so did you enjoy the film I enjoyed 90 minutes of it and then Leonardo DiCaprio pulled out that skull and then I said oh Jesus we're gonna be here for 30 more minutes and so that's just <laughs> So that's 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 the problem. Wow. That's, that's the thing that people are not. You know, that's the thing people uh, aren't upset about, which which I'm actually upset about because okay, we can. I you know another thing we all agree on is Quentin Tarantino is a very fearless filmmaker. He made a film this this western uh, revenge flick about in uh, about this uh, 19th century South. So he's a very fearless filmmaker, but mm-hmm. a lot of times his ambition overshadows his fearlessness. And what I mean by that is he gets really, really overconfident, overconfident, overconfident as well, but uh, very excited to make a movie and just, and nobody, of course, nobody tells him, yeah, maybe we should trim that or cut that because he's Quentin Tarantino and everything. So he makes basically this nearly three-hour uh, movie that really shouldn't have been that long. And I think that's that's more, that's that's to me, that's more of the, the problem is that, it would, it would have been an otherwise great piece of entertainment if he, uh, like so many filmmakers uh, that has movies that that ha- have movies out now, really just used an editor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we talked about a little bit in the first part. Is that we both actually kind of had issues with how long the movie ran, and it didn't use like his usual way of uh, what was the word that you used? It's not nonlinear. Nonlinear. Yeah. yeah, the nonlinear storytelling. It, it's definitely his most straightforward film, structurally speaking. But Monica, I'm going to talk about some of this stuff with you a little bit. But, Craig, I'm curious, what was it about the scene with the skull that really set you off? Well, because if you followed uh, Quentin Tarantino's career as a filmmaker, you know there's certain points where you're just like, like, you know, like, oh, going to that point where he's going to have somebody do a monologue that does nothing for the story except just remind people how well-versed uh, Tarantino is as a screenwriter, as just like, oh, he knows it. And mm-hmm. should I be cursing like this when I again, just... Go, it's, go, go it's fine. Go for it, yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just... To me, it's more overcompensating. I mean, it's kind of this obvious that Quinn has as 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 come a long way as a filmmaker, and he, and he knows what he's doing now. But when moments like that arise, when you know, like when you see something coming to the point where it's just like, why did he have to throw that in there? It's like as, as with me, most of the films I've seen this 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 winter, you know, you're watching you're watching it, and you're just like, why is that in there? Why the hell it has to be there? You could just knock that out, put that in deleted scenes in the DVD, so people can buy that when it comes out. You know, a lot, a lot of filmmakers get very uh, dramatic and and uh, really want to show everything they got this time of year. So, just to be clear, it wasn't the content of the scene. It was just mainly just that it felt kind of gratuitous and not didn't really have much to do with the with the plot. Yeah, because I mean, because like, yeah, I know what you know. That was a thing, you know. Of course, 
in the scene, DiCaprio's talking about how, you know, black people's goals, there's a part where, you know, they show that they're, why they're more, they're submissive and that's why they aren't smart enough to revolt and anything and just like that. And you got to realize, this is this is the thing that I'm finding very funny because a lot of people didn't like, aren't that big a fan of DiCaprio's uh, performance. I think it was kind of, you know, I think one of his best performances to date, you know, because like, he's just, because yeah. he, he's, because He's playing. He's basically playing a racist ass, and right. so it's just like, like what the hell were you expecting? It's kind of like just you know, this is kind of what his character believes in everything. So it wasn't like it was that you know that part wasn't offending me. It was the fact that why was that part in there in general? I mean, we're already just kind of getting by his whole performance, how he thinks about black people. So why the hell would you have to just like this whole long scene? And that whole long scene is an indicator of just how elongated the the the, uh, the third act is going to be, like the last like the last forty minutes or so, just going to like stretch out and everything. I'm just like, God. Uh, See, now that you bring that scene up, that reminds me of the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards, where you've got Christoph Waltz coming in talking to to this guy about. The Jews and, you know, would you kill a rat if you saw a rat? And almost this very twisted intellectual logic to back up his prejudice and his racism. Yeah. And I almost feel like Quentin Tarantino is is trying to show and trying to acknowledge that's very otherwise intelligent people bought into some really awful ideas and thought that it was logical and made sense and in a way that made it all the more evil and so and i guess what i'm trying to say is the 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 that sort of intellectual quote-unquote scientific racism seems a lot more insidious to me in certain ways than just the racism of some dumb hick who doesn't know any better but but uh, yeah i'm saying and also like when you bring it up you know how that scene is is kind of the same as uh, you know the same way as uh, the, the the opening scene in Glorious Bastards. It's it's kind of like a com- another thing. Just like he keeps going back to 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 old uh, themes and old tropes that that kind of were already established. And once again, it kind of also shows how Tarantino kind of in a way doesn't really have you know. Don't I'm not saying doesn't have complete. Like a, a complete faith, but just like doesn't have any uh, sense that you know the 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 actor will not carry along the idea of what he wants the character to portray. Because like from the first from the first moment we see DiCaprio's character, we know he is this, this supposedly uh, intellectual figure, this 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 uh, this Francophile who just happens to be racist as, as hell. So we kind of already established that, like who who he is and what kind of character. So like that whole whole long monologue about the the skull and everything. I mean, it's just like it's, 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 it was kind of obvious that you know, Tarantino probably read something and thought, oh, I'll put that in the script and just put that in there. But it just it just seems super, superfluous to me. Okay. I mean, so my my whole thing is I actually did like the scene, maybe mostly because of the content, because. There was a story um, either this past year or the year before about some fake science coming to explain like why black women were so much more unattractive than white women and like would scientifically draw out the numbers and like throughout statistics. And we all know that beauty is something that's socially based. So that was like this fake science is still coming up and it's still haunting us today. So for me, that was like one of the moments that connected like the Well, obviously, I guess it's just me and I keep track of this stuff. So I was more like, ah, yes, okay. Sort of like a hat tip to these things are still happening. Mm -hmm. And obviously, they sound so ridiculous when said out of, you know, a guy with the costume from the 1800s. But, you know, it's still masquerading as real explanation for things in life. I I think you're right, Craig, when you say that Tarantino does tend to reuse a lot of the same themes in his movies and he tends to draw a lot on his favorite genres and just kind of mishmash them all together and sort of create his own new thing out of them. But I feel like the Quentin Tarantino of today is very different from the Quentin Tarantino who made Pulp Fiction. 
you know, when he made Pulp Fiction, he gave himself a cameo where he's just this guy who says the N-word just because it's almost like he thinks it's cool. And he's kind of this awful douchebag character. And come, by the time we get to 2012, he's casting himself in a role where he's this really stupid Australian guy who ends yeah. up getting, who ends <laughs> up blowing himself up. So I, I almost feel like in terms of how he's cast himself in these movies, I feel like he has gone through a bit of a, an evolution in terms of how he views race and how he views his own identity as a white guy. And and I feel like with Inglorious Bastards and now Django and to a certain extent Kill Bill and Death Proof, it, 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 he seems very much aware of his own privilege as as a white guy and also his his the power he has as a filmmaker to kind of contribute to these cultural narratives and these cultural myths to a certain extent and i feel like he he acknowledges that if he's not careful maybe he could do more harm than good so you know i think you could definitely make a case that Django is in some ways in a racially offensive movie, but I feel like Quentin Tarantino is kind of aware that he could potentially be that racist guy <laughs> and is trying to, to do what he can to make up for that to a certain degree. But I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but do you, do you have any thoughts on Tarantino as a, as a person or as a filmmaker and how he's evolved? I think he's evolved as a filmmaker, definitely. I don't know if his sensibilities um, personally has evolved. I mean, I don't know the man personally, and I try my best not to listen to him. But, uh... <laughs> well, well put. Well, I don't know. well, you know, I will say, like, you know, on, on talk shows and on late night, when he does the whole uh, Tarantino spiel, it just gets on my, my, my damn nerves. Listen, I don't know what he what he has going in his head. I can just know what uh, he brings about in his movies. And Tarantino's never been a person, never been a filmmaker to really bring a sense of sense of a genuine sense. I mean, a reverence. Not he, he is definitely not a reverent filmmaker. He, he is he go, he really goes on the precipice of just doing something that is just absolutely out of the norm, and just really, I mean, it's really not, I mean, the whole thing about this movie is, is that it's about race, and people always think that race should be treated with kid gloves, because, of course, you could say something or bring something up that would offend somebody. And, of course, you know, being the guy who, you know, who doesn't, who, who has never been a person who, who did things with it, with a reverence, of course he's gonna make a movie about race just in your face. That it's out here, you got Don Johnson saying the N word all, and every and old uh, Western stars from movies and TV just all going back. It you know, and so I think there's a, I think that's a, what a lot of people are really uh, getting upset about is just basically how how dare he do his Tarantino thing and and try to make a popcorn movie about racism. Mm -hmm. So obviously a lot of people have been coming forward with all sorts of opinions about the movie, raging about, you know, condemning Tarantino to, like, praising him. I think one of the more interesting points that I read was that would we be taking this film as seriously had it come from a black director? Would we have taken Inglorious Bastards as seriously had it come from a Jewish director? Would we have taken something like Death Proof as seriously from a female director? First of all, nobody would have seen it. Any of those <laughs> yeah, films. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so so there you go right there. So, so yeah, no, it, didn't, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. But first of all, I don't know what you guys have been talking about. I don't get people who dig dead Death Proof. I really don't. That's mm -hmm. uh -oh. pissed me off in more ways. I don't know why to this day. <laughs> I was I was mad after I saw Death Proof, but it's just like. <laughs> Wait, did you see it with like the Planet Terror, the double feature? Yeah, that was a, that was the part that made me mad. I was like entertained by Planet Terror. Okay, here comes Tarantino with his wanna be an Austin ass uh, with Death Proof. 
and just like you just you just brought everything to a screeching halt. That's basically what you did. And so, yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about how you bring up all those three movies, because to me, and and it kind of bring goes back to what you're saying, Andrew. Kind of like there's like how his uh, evolving or maturing sensibilities in a way, because it does seem like he's trying to be he's trying to um, be more aware. I will give them that. Try to be more aware of other things. It's not just a whole big movie universe. You know, there's women who like stuff, and, and there was the World War II with the Nazis, and then, of course, slavery. So, and, and of course, it kind of like these movies, all three of these movies end uh, with, you know, almost this, 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 this uh, rousing, almost this, this, this revenge Wish fulfillment fantasy of win. I mean, because like Inglorious Bastards and Django both end with this house of evil exploding, yeah, mm-hmm. and the hero just walking away from it, scoffery and everything. So just like I mean, it's merely nothing, but you know, it's, it does show Tarantino really trying to bring up all the the things that are handled with such such reverence and trying to make some escapist entertainment out of it. And, of course, when you do that, people get pissed off to hell. Right. It, it, it is definitely wish fulfillment. But to a certain extent, I, I feel like it is cathartic, especially for, for modern audiences. You know, we are so used to talking about race and the Holocaust with, with such reverence that when you see the the Nazis or you see the plantation owners in Django Unchained when you see this this just emotional eruption of violence against them it does feel very cathartic and so I I'm not sh- I I feel like Quentin Tarantino he's not just playing with these tropes for fun I feel like he really is trying to acknowledge that modern audiences especially do sort of look back and 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 wish that that's how things had been and and wish that we could go back and sort of revise how history went down. Monica, I I know you before I forget. I I I know yesterday we were talking and you said you wanted to talk about Jamie Foxx's penis <laughs> in Django and Chains. So let's talk about Jamie Foxx's penis. <laughs> I know that's not exactly what you <laughs> Even said. Even Craig's but... holding his ha- face. <laughs> <laughs> so can you, yesterday you said you wanted to talk about that that castration scene. So, yeah, because so, so a lot of the parts that I, issues that I had with Django is that it's very much of a, yes, it was that cathartic um, feeling that, all right, he's getting back at the people who hurt him. But at the same token, they do show some of the brutality, not all of the, different things that happen to slaves, but they do go and explore, you know, the hot box that happens to Brunhilde and the threat of castration to Django. I just thought they took that scene a little far. And, I mean, I understand that there's a reason to show it, but it, there's a lot of that with Tarantino. Sometimes, I guess he just doesn't know where to cut it before it hurts people. Or before it like could be triggering or that sort of thing. So maybe that's just him as a filmmaker. He doesn't have that filter or that sensibility. It could also just be a personal thing that it was very uncomfortable to have this guy just wielding that power over that threat and con of like literally he's gonna kill him through those means. I think it was supposed to make you uncomfortable. I think that was the point. I I understand. Maybe again, I perhaps it just didn't have to go as far as it did because there there's the threat of an assault and then there is actual assault. Mm-hmm. And I think what we kind of saw was like it was supposed to be an assault. Mm-hmm. So right now, so are we we talking about the scene where Jamie Foxx almost gets his penis cut off? Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, well we should we should establish just <laughs> for the ladies. He, you know, he didn't get his penis cut off, really. I know. His penis isn't cut off. I think that's what Andrew thought I was very concerned about. Yeah. <laughs> Where the hell do we go from there? But, yeah, just... I just... <laughs> like, did, did you feel that it was appropriate? Did you feel that he he had to have that character, that 
Bright character showed the type of dominance that he had over Django. Like, it's very much a physical presence. He will end his life and he will end his manhood right here and right now. Well, we'll keep me on once again. It's in, also, it uh, happens, what I like to call post-skull. So, to me, they're like, like everything that happens after the skull scene is just like, why? Okay. <laughs> so, like, nearly everything that happened after Leo pulled out the skull, I'm just like, I'm going to be here for 30 more minutes. We're <laughs> all this shit. This is, it's funny because it's like, that's the stuff. That was the problem I had with Inglorious Bastards. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of problem I had uh, with that. We're just like he doesn't. You, you, you say you say he doesn't know when to quit. He does not have the filter. He doesn't know when, like he goes, you know, because he already has shown in the movie. Because like he, you know, he goes talk about the flashbacks how Django mm-hmm. and and his wife was was brutalized. How they had muzzles on and how they were up against up against trees and everything like that. So we already know like the the the. Just how black people were punished back in those times. So just like once again, he's just like revisiting things, and just he really did doesn't really have to go there because we already got the point. Okay, yeah. Okay, what I'm about to say right now, maybe Quentin Tarantino did not intend this at all, but the over analytical side of my brain wants to say maybe he was intentionally putting that scene in there, not only to show the brutality of slavery, but also because he's aware of how black masculinity and sexuality has been depicted in film throughout the years. I mean, so many movies in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, I mean, you think of Sidney Poitier, who's very much almost an asexual black man it seems like for uh, a lot of the time white audiences were you know decades ago were almost afraid of the idea of black sexuality and black masculinity and then in contrast to that you had the hyper masculinity and the hypersexual black heroes of the of the black exploitation era and there's a part of me that thinks okay maybe quentin tarantino went a little bit too far in that castration scene and then there's another part of me that thinks well maybe he's kind of saying no 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 it's time to stop cinematically or figuratively castrating black men and 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 how we depict them and kind of return to this more positive depiction of of black sexuality and masculinity. I don't know. Maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but because Quentin Tarantino is always so in tune with film history and different genre tropes, I feel like he he understands the power that that image of a black penis and what, what that represents. I feel like he understands what that can mean historically and cinematically maybe i'm overanalyzing well well if well you know but if he really this thing if he really wanted to show you know how finally we show black sexuality on screen he would have actually had black people having sex okay that is that's true that is apparently that is still a very bad thing i mean because like i've been waiting to see jamie fox you know with a white chick in a movie (laughs) <laughs> since he got the Oscar and Ray, but apparently nobody wants. I mean, like the movie in the movie, the whole thing is about him chasing that, you know, trying to find his wife who he loves and everything like that. And you'd think there'd be a lot more of a of a very um, a sensual, you know, erotic bond between both of them. But you know, it, it, it kind of, it's really just like oh, he finds her. And just like, oh, I love her and my mom's going to kill everybody who tries to do wrong everything. But but it's still like, in a way, it's like, it's funny, like, Jamie Foxx is still this, this in the movie, he is this, this black exploitation badass. But you got to remember, in the 70s, black exploitation heroes were hugely, pardon the pun, sexual. And yes. I mean, there's all, even Dolomite, you know, was just having, you know, sex all over the place in his movies. So it's just like you know, there's still this whole sense that even when when uh, when black actors, especially black lean actors, are these 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 emblems of uh, confidence and strength and manliness, you, they they still they still are in in many ways very emasculated 
That's because, like, you know, Denzel's whole run. Like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, question. Um, is there any sex scene in the Tarantino movie? There's fetishes and there's a, you know, sort of sexual in your window, but I don't think he's ever done, like, a sex, like, a consensual sex scene. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he has either. I don't think he knows what happens when the lights go out. Uh, De Niro, De Niro and uh, Bridget Fonda had a quickie in the kitchenette in Jackie Brown, remember that? Oh, oh yeah. well. You're right, you're right. Yeah, that, that's that's always such a tough issue, I, I feel like. That, that depiction of black sexuality in film, because you're right, the black exploitation era did depict black men as very hypersexual, but in many ways, that was almost in some ways undermining their status as empowered black men, because I, I feel like many audiences just viewed them as these physical, animalistic characters. So I think that, that when you're navigating that, de- that depiction of black masculinity it's 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 tricky because how do you depict masculinity in a way that is empowering but also doesn't just turn them into these animalistic stereotypical characters well you know when we speak hypersexuality i mean the thing about it is just if you really want to show an empowering figure of a of a black characters on screen just make them well-rounded figures people who who live and breathe and love and and do everything that ain't a regular person would do you know just anybody because like i think that's that is a main problem with you know all film Mm -hmm. films with black characters or black film it's just like you you get the sense like there there is just you don't get a a very well-rounded sense of characters just like they're just Right. They may um, they're usually archetypes, or they're just they're just po- poorly written. And so, I mean, just right. I mean, because we, I mean, we can just talk forever about just what I think we, I think we are doing that, where we're just discussing what is what we would want to see come from this movie, and what the movie does have, or what we think that the movie provides. But we can have this discussion about any film, just any, just about films in general. That's the interesting thing that the, the, all this whole discussion is actually just making people aware that there are movies out there and like we to discuss what's mm-hmm. in them and what would you like to see in them. And also, and I, maybe it's just me, I'm feeling this, you know, the, great, the thing I'm enjoying the most is that it's just, making, it's just, re- just showing how racist people can be. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just love that. I just love, right. just love when people are racist. <laughs> the comment section of reviews right now. It's like just grown ass human beings, and you're just going off and just yeah, it's just lovely. <laughs> See now, now you now you've got me wondering, Craig. Like if Tarantino had put a, a sex scene in Django Unchained, how would the response towards the film? How how would that be different? Would people be as responsive to the movie, or would people be too uncomfortable about it? Uh, you know, would, would that be viewed as a progressive move on Tarantino's part, or would that just be, would, would people just take that as, oh, he's just going back to that old stereotype of, of black men as hypersexual? I, I, I don't know. It, I thought it was kind of interesting that they, his love interest is his wife, like, it wasn't, right. it wasn't like, I think that's the most conventional relationship. It's heterosexual. It's, it's within the confines of marriage or so. So it wasn't like a girlfriend. It wasn't like someone he met before had a great one nighter and he really wants to come back for seconds. Um, this is his wife, someone he had a relationship with, committed relationship. That, yeah, that, that, that is a, an interesting point. Because I feel like that wasn't the case most of the time in black exploitation movies, and with the exception of the black exploitation genre, I'm struggling to think of of many other revenge films in which the hero was black. I feel like most of the time when you'd see a storyline similar to that in Django with the you know, ignoring the fact that, of course, it's it's set in the antebellum South and is all about slaves and, and plantation owners. Um, I feel like most of the time this would be your typical Jason Statham or Liam Neeson action movie in which the white hero 
gets revenge on the people who kidnapped his wife. So in that respect, I think Django is a little, it is in some ways subversive. Well, nobody's saying that. It, well, it's it's, it's definitely is subversive. It's, you know, of course, Tarantino, you cannot expect a Tarantino, Tarantino movie to be, to not be subversive at this, at this point. And I mean, it just goes back to just him, you know, just making a, a movie that tackles things that, um, that, that people are still a little touchy about. Just, you know, because, you know, bring up race. If you, you know, just bring up race, people don't know what to say. And more with white people than black people. Because I know just, you know, for for a lot of black people, just, you know, they just, they just, they're just glad to see uh, Jamie Foxx get work. <laughs> right. Yeah. So at this point in the game. So, yeah, just in a movie where the dude from Inception says the N word over and over again, it's like fine. I just think uh, black people for most part. I mean, I, I, was, I know I know a lot of uh, Odie Henderson and Stephen Boone. They did this that great back and forth on the uh, big media vandalism website about how. They're actually big fans of Django because because even though it's made by a white dude, it did it does bring awareness to the image of African Americans in motion pictures, and hopefully that will lead to a jump off where more filmmakers, whether they are white or black, make films uh, that uh, have you know just have more African-American characters and more in them and just realizing that black characters in movies can anchor a movie, can lead a film, and it can still be a success. It's kind of funny. Like, for some reason, I'm thinking of Alex Cross right now and how... <laughs> uh, Red Tails? Red, well, yeah, Red Tails. Yeah, Red Tails, which I still have not seen because I... I was going to say, that I was a thing that happened. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember. I couldn't, I couldn't get myself in the theater to watch uh, Red Tails... But it's just like, yeah, just sometimes it works with Alex. Sometimes it works with Django when you have like a guy like Tarantino behind uh, the camera and you have Jamie Foxx and like And sometimes it doesn't work like with Alex Cross with Tyler Perry pretending to be a detective who knows everything and yeah, chasing down Matthew Fox and that. That movie made no damn sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 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 you're right. If there's one thing you can say about Django, it, it has gotten people talking. And I think if the Drudge Report hates Quentin Tarantino and hates the movie, surely he's doing something right. Yeah. The response on the right has been so vitriolic. That oh, they're just warming up for Zero Dark Thirty, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can, but be, let's be honest, though. Can you imagine how much angrier the response would be if Django had been directed by a black man? By Spike Lee. Yeah, if Spike Lee had made Django Unchained... The right would be, they would be grabbing their guns ready to fight another civil war. Why, why do you think that? Why do you think because if, if it were done by a black man, you'd think that it would, it would have gotten a lot more effective? Um, because I feel like the, w the way the right is framing Django, it's, they're framing it as it's full of reverse racism in which black people rise up and kill all the white people. And I think that if a black guy had directed it, that would have just added more fuel to that horrible, wrong-headed way of thinking and just that line of thought because I feel like someone on the right would have said, oh, look, it's like a call to arms almost, which is idiotic, <laughs> but I feel like that's how racists would interpret that. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I, well, I mean, you may have a point of that, but I also think that um, you know, just as the the right are taking this, taking where is film is taken too seriously, uh, the left, the the liberal left, is very. Uh, I'm 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 almost inclined to think that they are also they would also be just as um, just as intense in, in regards. I, I know that my editor at uh, the Independent Weekly he wrote a, he wrote a, uh, a review about Django where uh, he he was very and he's he's a white guy but he was he was he took it uh, took it very literally and he he didn't like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and that whole Candyland segment and you know I mean he had some points he had some points in the review but just like to me it just seemed like. You know, since it's a movie that uh, touches, once again, touches on a very raw moment 
American history, which is still raw for a lot of people, that it shouldn't have been handled with the uh, the unorthodox nature that Tarantino uh, handled it. And so, and I think, and because of that, because it's such an American thing, you know, just the, just the racism and slavery is so such ingrained in our history. And I think it makes people feel even more uncomfortable with it. And they don't want to you know, kind of like address it in any way. And because of that, like whether you are on the, the right or the left, just people like people need to just realize that this happened. And like people like Quentin Tarantino are going to turn around and, and make something that, that remind people that but at the same time, uh, try to make it uh, very entertaining and revisionist in a sense. Okay. So, so do you, think that the movie would be better or would you have responded more favorably to it if it was directed by a black guy or you think that that who directed it doesn't really matter you just it doesn't matter listen uh i i I agree with you i i agree with you on the whole but i i I think that people would have i think certain people would have responded to it differently well those people are idiots and those (laughs) listen look you know, people people gotta like have their ideas of who does a better job with what. And you, and Monica, you mentioned Zero Dark Thirty. All right, and I saw and I saw Zero Dark Thirty, and like, and I don't know if you don't want to discuss it just yet, and, <laughs> but it's just it's to me that was a kick ass movie, and yeah. I I actually said kick ass in, in in public in a public setting. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like I think the fact. That and it maybe could have been done different by, or or better or different by than by a man, but but it's done by Catherine Bigelow. And to me, Catherine Bigelow, this is what we've come to expect from her as a filmmaker. And and because of that, um, I think that um, because it is that person's film, and this is what we expect from that person's filmmaker. That this is this is this is what this is. If 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 you understand, this is. You know, Zero Doctor, like, that can only come from Catherine Bigelow as Cap- Dan- Django Unchained is what comes from Quentin Tarantino. I can't imagine anybody else doing Django Unchained except Quentin Tarantino. Just because just, mm-hmm. like, if, if it would have been a black person, it would have been something else. It would have been, like, some other thing. So, Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Just his style, the way he tells the story. It's, it's his. It's his own. So you can't even like make that whole assumption that well maybe if it was done by a black person if it was done by a black person it would have been done a whole lot differently it you know wouldn't have been eight hours long and it wouldn't have had other things that I kept was like he should have cut that out so it's kind of, you know kind of hard to make you know this is just to bring that up where just like you know maybe if this was done a lot. If somebody else did that, Spike Lee or Tyler Perry's Django Unchained. I, yeah, exactly. Tyler Perry's Django Unchained. Jamie Foxx would have been a got been a dress, and there'd been a big, uh, big uh, church musical sequence. Yes. And Jill Scott would have shown up and cried. So yeah, so it would have been entirely different. So it's like you can't even. Mm-hmm. Wonder like if it is done by a black person, yeah. And and also going back to what Monica is talking about, just like it's done by, like I just feel it done by a black person. Not a lot of people would have cared, really. Just like, yeah. I mean, think like a man was like number one for like what two, three weeks, and you know, should te- yeah. technically Kevin Hart should be like the biggest star in Hollywood, but he's not because yeah, it's just yeah. You know. All right, Monica. Any final thoughts on Django Unchained? This has been a really great discussion anything anything else you want to say before we wrap it up um i guess we should each go and say say whether or not we would recommend it for people to see maybe sure sure did you did, would you recommend people i, see would, Django I would recommend it even even if it is a tough watch even if it is 800 hours long i'm just glad that there is this discussion going on and people are finally putting some critical thought to this whole race question especially race in america this is a very problematic issue and you know and race in movies and race in movies so i'm just pleased to see that that it's being talked about not finally it's ha- it's happened before other movies have brought it up but like something that also deals with the same time period is lincoln 
And the whole issue with Lincoln is about him make, ratifying the 13th and 14th Amendment for the, the full emancipation of slavery. And we hardly ever get to see or hear from someone not in the House, not in Congress, not, mm-hmm. not a white man in a suit with a stovetop hat. So something. I'll take something. As I said in part one, I liked the movie a lot. I enjoyed it. I don't think it's Tarantino's best film by a long shot, but I I do think it's an interesting movie, especially when you look at it in the context of of his other films and and these different themes that he keeps returning to in in his filmography. Craig, any final thoughts on Django Unchained? Overall, would you recommend people go see it, or was it just a bit too much for you after that skull scene? I feel I have to apologize to Monica. Oh, no. You got got that look going on, like, when is this big motherfucker going to stop talking? But no. <laughs> I'm ruining uh, the, the show, Cinema Fix thing. No. No. I always have that faith. <laughs> Ask Andrew. <laughs> I'm sure Monica's just glad to have someone other than me babbling on and on. So I, I think it's great. <laughs> Craig, you're funny. I'll keep you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You'll keep me? That's like I'm, I'm E.T. up in his Oh. Come on. <laughs> kind, of, kind of like wrong thing to say at the slave, the slavery movie show. But yeah. yeah but anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> you better be glad it's just a movie, Monica. <laughs> yeah, just goodness. And uh, well, I'll just say this: like, I'll I, hey, I'll recommend it. I'll yeah, I I wrote about it for national scene. I just said it, but um, like I said, it was good. Uh, but the minute Leo pulls out the skull, if you want to leave, I ain't mad at you because <laughs> it just goes like ah, Tarantino being Tarantino, and that's and once again, just like. I, I wish I had more of the um, the opinions that apparently you and Mike and everybody else seems to have regarding race and everything. But the fact that I think that it exists and people are talking about it is kind of what I'm um, what I'm what I'm what I'm digging. If like if I can mm-hmm. if I can sound like uh, Sammy for a few minutes, you know, just mo- it's a it's a movie and um, like some people are making good points about it. Some people are making bad points about it. Like I was kind of shocked. I read the is Ismail Ishmael uh, Reed piece he, uh, he did for the Wall Street Journal about it. And I was kind of shocked. Like, oh man, he just went the hell off. Like, because he said so. Like Samuel Jackson was play, basically playing himself, and this, you know, just like everything, just like oh yeah, exactly. Ouch. So it's just just making people say a lot of things. And I don't know if people would have said half of this stuff if it was something like Les Miserables or mm-hmm. something like that. But it's just but and, and and once again, it's bringing up discussion. And if we just remember that just discussion, and people should do that, just talk. Mm-hmm. about Especially the, the subject that tackles race. I mean, race isn't that bad a thing to talk about. I love talking about race with uh, white people, especially old white people. Uh, <laughs> old white people have the best racism stories. I don't know about you, <laughs> but yeah, I just I mean, I just you know, I I didn't need the movie to talk about race, but just like hey, since it's here and people are talking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to do it. I'm doing it here with you two, so, and and, yep. and hopefully when Zero Dark Thirty, I'll have a lot of good conversations about terrorism and how. <laughs> oh, good. So, is that a sign-on for the next episode? <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I haven't seen Zero Dark Thirty yet, but I'm, I'm Just waiting on you, Andrew. The discussion, yeah. Uh, I agree. I think it's great that, uh, that Django has gotten people talking about race. It's a conversation that uh, we need to have more often. But on, on that note, I think that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion of Django Unchained here on Cinema Fix. Uh, don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be having our first annual Cinema Fix award show, so to speak, where, where we'll be talking about the best and worst of 2012. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback on this episode. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. Let us know what you thought of Django Unchained. Let us know what you think of, of all this racial stuff and, and everything that's being said about 
the film. Do you think Tarantino is a racist or do you think he's got good intentions at heart? Uh, you can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to the show through the website or use the website to shop through our affiliates. We get a few pennies of that every time you use our website to uh, shop through Amazon, for example. So we really appreciate your help. And uh, don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place and Dispatches from St. Marina. Craig, thanks again for joining us on the show. Where can people find you on the internet? Where can people find more of your work? Sadly, I'm not on Pinterest yet, but they can uh, find me all around. I'm on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Uncle Crizzle, C-R-I-Z-Z-L-E-1. And, of course, uh, there is my uh, podcast, uh, Motherfuckers I Know, which you can uh, get uh, at uh, Uncle Crizzle dot potomatic dot com uh, and of course there's my blog Uncle Crizzle and the crap he's written which you can get on UncleCrizzle dot tumblr dot com basically just type in Uncle Crizzle and there I am and if any of you know uh, Adrian Barbeau can you can you tell can you tell it a holler at a brother <laughs> I was about to say, Craig, I don't think you need Pinterest because you post enough pictures on your Tumblr <laughs> that I, I really don't think you need Pinterest. So I might go need some fabrics. I want to pin on something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Monica, where can people find you online? People can also find me on Twitter at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the BOFCA website. That's the Boston Online Film Critics Association at bofca.com. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. All right, better wrap it up for this episode of Cinema Fix. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!